Well, good morning, uh, Bethel. It's good to be with you again. And uh, the, today we start our Easter series, and I'm really uh, excited about kicking it off. And uh, so I'm going to start at the beginning of the Easter story, which is a triumphal entry, as we go on this journey to hope. And Easter is a hopeful reality. It is the apex of the hope that we find in our faith in Christ. And uh, we're going to have a good time, I think, this morning. So good to be with you again. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Luke, chapter 19. And what I want to do this morning is this. I, I want to give you a little bit of context of the passage. I think that's important to just get some handles on it. And then I'm just going to walk you through the passage this morning with a few observations. And then I'm, uh, uh, and then I'm going to give you two sort of handles two significant observations that I hope will be helpful, and then one application. That's what we're going to do. So that's where we're headed this morning, and uh, so I hope you'll uh, stay on the journey with us. I hope you have your Bible there in some form. And uh, let's begin with the context of the story uh, in uh, Luke 19. Of course, the, the chapter begins with Jesus and Zacchaeus, and uh, Jesus goes into Jericho. He's just healed a blind man. It's created quite a bit of uh, fanfare, and so the people are trying to see him and gather around him. And this little Jewish tax collector named Zacchaeus goes up a tree. Remember the kid's song? He was a wee little man. He goes up a tree to see Jesus in the crowd, and Jesus identifies him and says, uh, Zacchaeus, you know, I'm going to come to your house. We're going to uh, gather at your home. And of course, we see that the people are upset about that, and they are grumbling. You know, this man eats with tax collectors and sinners, and that's a typical uh, refrain in Jesus' earthly ministry. There's grumbling. Uh, interesting, right? Because Jesus came to do what? To seek and to save those whom are lost. And uh, we see that in churches today, you know, and churches can turn into that. Churches can become keepers of the aquarium instead of fishers of men. And so we just really got to guard our hearts against that. And then we get into the story of the parable of the ten minas. And you know that story. I won't get into it. Great story, parable that Jesus tells. And basically, you know, the the... You know, the bedrock of the story is this, use it or lose it, that God entrusts us with certain things, and uh, we are entrusted with things that we are to be faithful with and fruitful with, and this applies to us as individuals, it applies to us as church, and uh, we need to remember that there is both a reward and a reckoning coming for how we use that which has been entrusted to us. And then we get down to verse 28, which is where we're going to start this morning, the triumphal entry. So here are the word of the Lord. We're going to begin with this passage uh, and just walk our way through it. I will make some, some comments, and then we will get to our observations. So here we go. Verse 28, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Well, if you know the lay of the land there in the Holy Land, it's about 14 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem. And of course, you often hear of going up to Jerusalem because it's about 2,700 feet above sea level. And so it's quite a climb. If you've ever been to Israel uh, in a bus or a car, you know, you're going uphill for quite a while to get into the city. And so he goes up to Jerusalem. And then verse 29, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples. Now, just a little geography there. Here's two sister villages there on the Mount of Olives. You can go there today and see these places. 
And um, the, of course, Bethany is home to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And it's here where the resurrection of Lazarus has taken place just weeks before. And, uh, and so familiar territory. And this is on the Mount of Olives. And then you go down the Mount of Olives into the Kidron Valley and come back up again to the Temple Mount and to Jerusalem. That's the journey he will ultimately uh, find himself taking. And uh, so as he gets to those two villages, verse 30, we read, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. And of course, colts, donkeys, the word's interchangeable. Uh, They need to be broken in. You just can't get on one and hope for the best. I mean, you would be hoping for the best if you did that. But Jesus says, Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. Verse 32, so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owner said to them, here comes the question, right? Why are you untying the colt? In other words, what are you doing with our donkey? What are you doing with our colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Interesting, right? I I sometimes wonder, I, I like to walk in the sandals of the biblical text and, and just say, you know, these are real people and real events, real places. And I, I wonder about these people. Maybe it's a husband and wife, a family that owns this cult. Uh, you know, I wonder, uh, are, are, are the owners uh, the same people that may have been there in the crowd when Lazarus was raised from the dead? When Martha identified Jesus as Lord over and over again? Did they witness that? Were they part of that so that they even recognized these men? Those are the guys that travel with that rabbi, that rabbi that raised uh, Lazarus from the dead. You know, the, the, the Lord, everybody called this, this guy the Lord. And so they show up and they go, yeah, I think we recognize those. The Lord has need of it. You take it. You t- we would be pleased to have our donkey uh, in the hands of the Lord, used of the Lord. And uh, so they untie it. And uh, there doesn't seem to be any debate mentioned or hesitancy. There's no negotiation to buy the donkey. They get the donkey. And then we go to verse uh, 35. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They, They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down, this is down the Mount of Olives, down to the Kidron Valley, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in in heaven and glory in the highest. Wow, it's quite a a story, isn't it? It's an important reality. Uh, you know, important, uh, important arrivals are memorable, aren't they? When somebody important arrives. I, I was living in South Carolina when George Bush was running for president of the United States. One morning, I was on my way to my, uh, my office, and uh, I'm driving down a road, and coming the other direction up this kind of main road, we lived in Columbia, South Carolina, was all of these police cars and motorcycles, and I didn't know what it was, and here it was, uh, George's, George Bush's motorcade as he was on campaign uh, stops. And uh, so it was a lot of fanfare and the bus and all of these police vehicles and everything. And uh, so I thought, I wonder where he's going. So after it passed, I turned around and I followed from, you know, behind the motorcade. 
And they got to this huge banquet hall in Colombia. And he was having a breakfast there and a speaking engagement. And the, plate, the parking lot was jammed. But the motorcade, the bus, went around to the back of the banquet hall. And I thought, I wonder if I could see George Bush. It'd be kind of interesting. So I went, uh, I went one street over, the next block over, and I parked in the back of a bank. And I thought, I can walk through and get to where he is. But between uh, that bank and that banquet hall, there was about maybe 200 feet of uh, trees and very thick underbrush. Now, if you know the South, you'll know that uh, in that area of the world, there's two things that many people don't like, brown recluse spiders and black widow spiders. In fact, one day I was asked to help a, uh, a couple of guys move a big pile of bricks, you know, uh, and we moved this pile of bricks and we had to be very careful. Do you know in that pile of bricks, there was 13 black widow spiders. Can you imagine? But anyways, I decided I can cut through these woods. But the problem is in this underbrush, there's all these spider webs and it's kind of creepy. And I'm not super afraid of spiders, but it's creepy, right? Especially when you got these really poisonous ones. So I start to kind of just sort of jog slowly through the woods, but I get into spider webs like crazy and I'm swatting spider webs and I'm, I'm starting to get pretty creeped out. So I'm kind of like going, and when I come out of the other side of the woods where George Bush and his security detail is, I come running out because now I'm running fairly quickly and I'm like, and I realize that his security detail is running fairly quickly towards me. Uh, and that's about as close as I've come to being shot. And uh, so, you know, it was kind of a memorable entrance, uh, certainly for George Bush, but for Steve Adams as well. And then I actually did get to stand and talk for a few minutes with George Bush. It was kind of cool. But uh, this arrival, this arrival here, friends, that we've just read about, far, far exceedingly more important than any presidential candidate. Uh, Many had realized that this man, Jesus, was exceedingly more than just a great teacher and certainly much more than just a really great guy. They had reached back to the book of Zechariah, Zechariah 9. Let me read. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Did you hear that? He is just and having salvation. And here's the prophetic reality. Lowly and riding on a donkey. A colt, the foal of a donkey. A king was entering his royal city. And then we get to verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. The Pharisees were frankly worried that everybody had got on board with Jesus. And, you know, people are shouting and they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And uh, many of these, frankly, these disciples, as the Pharisees call them, they were really... uh, I don't think they were followers of Jesus. They were simply fans because within a week, the vernacular of many of those people within the crowd would change from blessed is the king to crucify the king. And many of these folks are simply fans, not followers. And you know the problem with fans? They can be shockingly fickle. And then we get to verse 40. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus is saying it's impossible. For these disciples, these true followers to be quiet. It is impossible. This is the moment God has ordained, Jesus is saying, for me to receive praise. And if human voices were silent, nature would shout its praise to God and to me. 
And the Pharisees do, ironically, this is maybe just an immense uh, irony, that they do not understand the nature of the God that they seem to talk so much about. It's so ironic, so incredible. Uh, The king has come, and they only see a false teacher on a donkey. That's all that they can see. But for those who do see a king and utter these words of praise, and that includes us this Easter as you utter words of praise and lift your voices in worship to the Lord, uh, that praise will lead to eternal rewards because we're one of his. And it also leads to responsibility as well. We need to always keep that in mind, don't we? Now, that's our story. That's our story. And I'd like to make two observations, if I may. Okay, here's the first observation. Christ was on the road to kingship, not to calamity. Let me say that again. Christ is on the road to kingship and not to calamity. You know, for weeks, the Pharisees have been sending out delegations seeking to build a case against him since the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And they had put a price on his head. And you may say, oh my goodness, whatever you do, Jesus, don't go to Jerusalem. And you may say that because even Peter said that very thing, right? He said, you know, you go to Jerusalem, Jesus, you're walking into a firestorm. You are on the road to calamity if you go to Jerusalem. And uh, Jesus is riding uh, on this donkey as a servant of his father. Uh, And some want to think, well, he's going to be a victim to the religious zealots, right? Unjust religious leaders. But, you know, I have found so often as a follower of Jesus that in life, uh, often accidental events or those events that seem to be accidental or even sometimes directions we choose that we're a little bit unsure of and others don't understand, they actually are part of a much grander reality. Now, if I was to say to you this morning, and for those of you that are my age or older, uh, you might uh, be able to answer uh, the last part of this statement. If I said to you, M-I-C, you would probably say K-E-Y. And then if I said M-O, you would say U-S-E, Mickey Mouse, right? The Mouseketeers. The Mouseketeers. And of all of the Mouseketeers, friends, the most famous was arguably the last one that uh, Walt Disney chose to be a Mouseketeer. And interesting, long before uh, Bono or Adele or even Cher, you know, are these people who are so famous for one name only. She was the, the front runner of being identified by just one name. Of course, her name is Annette, Annette Funicello. And more than any other Mouseketeer, When she leveraged her newfound fame, which she did, and she joined with Frankie Avalon in these beach party movies, you know, Beach Blanket, Bingo, and all those. Some of you that are my age or older, you can remember those. They're they're super corny, but they're they're a lot of fun, too. And uh, at the high point, the very crescendo of her fame, Annette made a journey, took a journey out of fame and fortune. Many thought that she had made a a decision to travel into calamity, into obscurity. And she did that because she wanted to be a mom and a wife. Why would you give up the fame and the excitement and all of the praise? This is Jesus. Jesus, wherever you go, crowds crowd around you and they want to be with you. Why would you give that up and journey to Jerusalem? 
into what seemed like calamity. And others thought the same of Annette Funicello, and she was making a a decision that would take her into calamity. But you know why she did it? Because Annette was a woman of very deep personal faith. And she believed that that is what God had for her, to be a mom, to be a wife, uh, to raise children. And so she stepped away from that. And of, of course, others thought it was a horrible mistake. Jesus, when he travels into Jerusalem, he knew that this is what God had for him. Every step on the journey to the cross, friends, is ordained of God to bring about the outcome that it did. And uh, Jesus said, you know, we're going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be handed over. He was never in the dark about the destination. In fact, in Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost, Peter tells of God's foreknowledge, right? That this was God's will, that this was divinely timed and sovereignly orchestrated. So Christ was not on the road to calamity. He was on the road to kingship. And the road is God's plan. It's, it's systematic, it's methodical, it's meticulous, and it's divinely directed. And Jesus is focused on this event. And, you know, we should be focused on the events of our lives. Because when you're unfocused on the events and don't say, where is God in this and what does God have for me in this? You know, if you're unfocused, then your life can feel unanchored at times, right? And so you should be focused. The second observation I want to make, first observation is that Christ is on the road to kingship. God is in control, not on the road to calamity. The second observation is this. Christ is committed on that journey, on that road, to facing the problems and the pain that lay ahead for him. He was committed to that. He knew there was problems and pain that were coming. He had identified that, right? He knew what what was in store, what was on the horizon. But he's committed to facing that because up at Caesarea Philippi, which is the northern part of Israel, the most northern part that Christ travels in his earthly uh, ministry that we know of, Jesus asks who they think he is. He asks his followers, his disciples, right? And uh, they say, well, you know, there's differences of opinion. But finally, Peter speaks up and he says, I know who you are. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, you've not, you've not got that from an earthly understanding, but from my, my father has revealed that to you. And, you know, you can almost see Peter thinking, wow, you know, I feel kind of important now. But uh, you know what happens then? You read on in Matthew 16, 21, and it says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. He's facing, he's committed to the problems and pain that lie ahead. Facing many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then Peter speaks up after he's made this great identification of Jesus He says, you know, he takes him aside and he rebukes him. And he says, you know, uh, far be it from you, from you, Lord, you shall never go. That shall never happen to you. And Jesus says this to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Wow. Peter goes from this spiritual mountaintop to being called out by Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to man. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And Jesus is committed to facing the problems and pain 
that, that he looked ahead and conceived because he knew that they were of God, that God would see him through, that God is with us as followers of Jesus on our journey. Our hope is not that when we become a Christian, everything's going to be rosy and everything's going to feel like Disney World. No, our hope is found in the reality that Jesus is with us in the thick and the thin of life, on the mountaintop, experience is in in the deepest and darkest valley and uh, why can why does Jesus do that and how can we do that it's found in Hebrews 12 verse 2 let me read it to you uh, the writer of Hebrews says you know that we that we lay aside every weight in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 every weight that and and every sin that ensnares and holds us back and then in verse 2, Now what we do is we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Listen, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you hear that? It says that Jesus, for the joy set before him. Yeah, he's prepared to face the problems and the pain, but there's a joy. He's looking past that. He's looking over And he can see the joy of once again being seated with the Father and saying, wow, now it's an amazing thing. Uh, Let me try and put some handles to illustrate that for you. If, If you were to go into a remote village in the Amazon jungle, isolated from the world, right? And you found a, a man there, and you took that man right out of that village, and you took him to an NFL football game. Some of you are going to uh, be watching uh, sports probably today or this week. But if you took that man right to an NFL football game, and, and he's sitting in the stands, and he's looking at this game, and this is quite unusual to him. And, uh, you know, he's, he's wondering to himself, you know, here we are, we, all of us in these stands watching this, we are all, and he looks at all of us North Americans and he says, here's a whole bunch of people that look like they're desperately need in need of exercise. And they're up here watching a group of men down there who actually are desperately in need of rest. It's quite an unusual experience, right? And further, they're bashing and bruising each other to move what appears to be a giant brown almond or lemon down the field. A few feet at a time. And that seems very peculiar and really silly to that man because he has no context for that. But you know what that man doesn't see? He doesn't see the celebration, the excitement, the glory that you find in a Super Bowl parade when you've won the Super Bowl. Right? You know, that's why the guys do it, because one day they hope to get one of those Super Bowl rings or one of those Stanley Cup rings. And, and But if you just look in the immediate and you say, wow, this is a lot of pain and bruising and, you know, I'm going to get smashed and guys are banging into me and all of that. If that's all you see, it's, it's really difficult to understand, right? But Jesus knew throughout all of his earthly ministry that there were times to journey into the crowds and the chaos, and there were times to journey out. And there are times for a journey in for us in life, into the pain and into the chaos, and we just don't get it. And there's, there ultimately will be a journey out. And that's why our Easter story ultimately is a journey to hope, right? It's a journey of hope. And, uh, you know, of course, for most of us, for many of us, uh, a favorite verse when we feel like life is coming unwound and coming apart is 
Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And you say, wow, yeah, that's good. But the next verse right after that is commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. In other words, you know, you're on the way and you say, Lord, I'm on the way here and I'm going to commit to this, even though this might be difficult, it might be disappointing, it might be confusing, but I know that you will act and I'll try and find delight in you and you'll be with me through this. And, you know, if you want to live in reflection of Jesus, when you feel like you're walking in a minefield, now not a minefield that you've created, like sometimes our own sinful choices get us into a minefield and we're like, whoa, this was a huge mistake. I acted out of step with what God, but sometimes you're living your life, you're following Jesus as best you can, and you find yourself in a minefield. You get a, a, di- a health diagnosis that you're like, I'm in a minefield. You get news, I'm in a minefield. And how did I get here? And you know, the thing that we can do is, is stand still. But you know what? We're to keep walking forward. We are to delight ourselves in the Lord in that minefield. We're to, in the midst of calamity and chaos and pain and suffering. We are to keep walking. Jesus is with us. And when a well-meaning Christian says to you, you know, during times like that, right? You're a victim. Oh, you're a victim. This is terrible. You're a victim. You know, you could say to them, I'm actually wondering if I was chosen for this, if this is part of God's grander plan for me. And I can actually commit myself to this journey, even though it's a tough journey, because Jesus is with with me. And even though I haven't chosen it and I don't understand it, that this ultimately, ultimately is a journey to hope. Jesus' life was focused and goal-oriented, even though at times it was immensely difficult. Now let me bring to you to the hope-filled, what I hope is a hope-filled application on our journey to hope this morning. Let's go back to Annette. Here she is, beautiful Annette. Annette thought that leaving Hollywood would kind of be her uh, road out, But in some ways, it was her road into pain and suffering. Because 15 years after she left Hollywood, she would become enslaved to her own body. She went from this glamorous picture that you see, uh, her first glamorous Hollywood uh, agent husband was an abuser behind closed doors. And for her safety and the safety of her kids, she had to leave him. But then in 1986, she met a wonderful man named Glenn Holt. And one year later, she was diagnosed with MS. And she made it public that she had MS because rumors were swirling when she would do the odd public appearance that she was an alcoholic because of her muscle inability to control her muscles well and remain seated often. So she came out with that. But her faith in God sustained her through that. And This beloved husband, Glenn, cared for her as she spiraled down. Now look at this picture, and you see this picture, and you go, wow, what a change. What a change. As she got sicker and sicker, she said, my equilibrium is no more. It's just progressively getting worse. But I thank God I just didn't wake up one morning and not be able to walk. You learn to live with it. You learn to live with anything. You really do. This just makes me appreciate the Lord even more because things could be worse. Listen, Annette said, I know he will see me through this. And he did. And Glenn was right there with her, her husband. When she could no longer talk, had to be fed, had to have her diapers changed, Glenn did it. All day in and day out. 
until she faithfully stepped into the promised land on April 8th of 2013. Daily, Glenn was there helping her get through that. He did it for, listen, 9,000 days. Can you imagine that? 9,000 days. But God was with Annette. So here is my hope for you as we close. If Jesus' life, even with the pain and the suffering, and Annette's life, is under the control of the Father, so is yours. So is yours. So here's the application, church, this morning. Listen carefully. As you journey through life, and sometimes you are on that Jericho to Jerusalem Easter Sunday road, right? As you're heading into what you know will be difficult, or you're in the midst of the difficulty. Focus on the immediate. God, I know you are with me in this, and I know I can trust you. So focus on the immediate, but listen, put your faith in the ultimate. And the ultimate is your life is divinely directed and you are on the winning side and God will get you home. Keep looking over to the joy that is set before you. And one day you will be seated next to Jesus. And in his mind, listen, the scriptures tell us you already are. You already are. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter two. Let me read this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That's the Easter story. By grace you have been saved. It's unmerited. It's gifted to you. Verse 6, listen as we close. And raised as up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus already sees, sees you seated next to him, and one day you will be. And that, friends, is our journey to hope as we head towards Easter. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Father God, we love you. And as we journey towards Easter, we are an Easter people. Hallelujah is our song. We look towards you. We know that we are on the winning side, even though sometimes we go through times where people praise us, and we have this triumphal time in our lives. And then within days, people are against us. And it feels like the world's against us. But Father God, we know, like Jesus, you have ordained certain things in our lives. We don't always understand them, but we can face them. We can commit ourselves to have find joy and find you in the pain and suffering, knowing, knowing, knowing that our faith is in the ultimate, which is our hope in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.